Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with entrepreneur, mindset expert, and author, Marissa Levin. Her entrepreneur journey started with her first company, Information Experts, where she grew the organization to nearly 15 million in revenue before the company was sold. Marissa is the best-selling author of Built to Scale, where she provides a patented and proven scale model for small businesses to use when forming advisory boards. Now she is on a mission to help 100 million leaders develop their greatest potential. Here's our conversation. Marissa Levin, thank you for joining me today. So happy to be here, Larry. Yes, this is going to be a very interesting. Uh, Marissa, you have a you know very uh, fascinating background, um, how you came to become an entrepreneur um, with your company's uh, information experts, how you, you know, um, built that company to a $14 million company, but you also had it, the, the way you came about, um, starting your own business was very interesting as well. Your CEO told you you were never going to amount, uh, more than, or make more than $34,000, um, a year. Huh. He was wrong, but let's start from the beginning with the university of Maryland. That's where you went to school. What made you want to go to to the University of Maryland, and you were an English major there. Is that correct? Yeah, so that was my undergraduate. Yeah, uh, I went to University of Maryland because I grew up in Maryland, and I had two older brothers. Um, I always like to say I'm the underachiever in my family. My oldest brother is a physician, and my other brother is an attorney. And then there's me, who's the you know free spirit <laughs> that definitely made my father who was uh who was an aeronautical engineer at nasa wow. drove him a little bit crazy because he wasn't really sure where i was going with my english degree with my concentration in shakespeare right so that was my undergraduate degree but i went to maryland because we lived in maryland and we were a solid middle class family and that was where my parents could afford to send me uh and going to college was never like an option. It was something that was always going to happen. Like uh, me going to college, mandatory, like never, ever yeah. up for discussion, but they were going to pay for it and they could afford a state school and it was an excellent school. And so that's where I landed. And you also went to the Marymount, uh, Marymount University where you studied HR and organizational development. And I can kind of see how that ties into um, your entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial journey. Um, how was that? Was that your graduate degree? Yeah, that was my graduate degree. I got a master's degree. Uh, I did a three-year program in about two years um, with a focus on instructional systems design and education. And yeah, that definitely uh, kind of paved the trajectory and paved my way for my professional journey. Um, you know, from that point up to now. And I built a consulting firm around that. I fell into the field of instructional design at the first company that I worked at after I was a journalist on Capitol Hill. I fell in love with the field of adult learning. And then I went out and I built my own consulting firm around that, around that discipline. And that's a great segue. So fast forward, um, starting in 1995, um, you launched Information Experts. What, what started uh, that journey? So I had been working for a very small consulting firm uh, out in Herndon, Virginia, that hired me because they were focused on the telecommunications industry. After I graduated college, I became a journalist on Capitol Hill, which was amazing. I 
every day I was in the House and the Senate. I covered the House Telecom Subcommittee, the Senate Commerce Committee. I covered the White House. I covered the NTIA, which was the Telecommunications Infrastructure Association, the CTIA, which was the the Cellular Telecom Industry Association. So my whole thing was about all the telecom and technology that was out there at the time. So I became the expert, you know, who the players were, the regulations, the technologies, everything that was going on in the whole telecom and uh, internet world going back, you know, almost 30 years. Uh, And so this small consulting firm hired me for my writing skills uh, and the knowledge of the telecom world. And that's how I fell in love with the field of uh, adult learning and education and training and, and really fell in love with the consulting world. So I worked there um, for several years and I really was very much of like a prodigy to the CEO. It was a phenomenal learning experience. But when I did go in for my raise and I quantified my worth, they did tell me that I would never be worth more than $34,000 to the company. So my mom had taught me, you know, years ago that you never let anyone else determine your value or your worth. And I heard those words from her when I was told that. And I just decided to take a leap and start my own company. Mm, that's 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 great. And so uh, information experts was successful. How did you end up uh, leaving the company there? Did you um, how did that go about? So I left that company about 10 years ago, and there were a lot of reasons why I left it. Um, it was in its 17th year or 18th year when I left it. And, you know, the thing about running a company is most CEOs stay in their role and average of seven years. Okay. It's not something that you do indefinitely for the most part. Um, you know, you have your limited skill sets and you can take it as far as you can take it. And there's something called the Peter principle where people rise to their highest levels of incompetence in a company. So someone, it's a real thing. Of, <laughs> you, come, you come into a company and you have a certain skill set. And as the company grows and expands and evolves, the ideal situation is that you grow and expand and evolve with the company. That doesn't always happen. And speaking from experience, CEOs will come in and they you know, will start a company and they'll want to reward loyalty to their people, right? Mm-hmm. So what is one way you reward loyalty? You promote them, right? Right. But a lot of times when you promote people, the positions in which you're promoting them don't align with their interests, their skill sets, or their personalities. Like a perfect example is you've got an awesome salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. They can close anything. They can sell igloos and ice to, you know, an ice Eskimo in Alaska, right? They can literally sell anything and they are cranking in the field and they are, you know, they're filling your pipeline and they're generating revenue and they're crushing their quotas. And the owner of the company or the executive team says, wow, they're doing such a good job. We need to promote them. Let's make them VP of sales. Yeah. That's the worst thing you could do for a, for a higher performing salesperson, because then you're going to take them out of the field. You're going to stick them in an office and you're going to ask them to manage other people. Right. Right. On paper, it looks like it's a promotion, but you literally have just crushed their soul because you've taken them out of something that they're doing really well. So executives and CEOs also sometimes have our victims or subject to the Peter principle where they get themselves in position and they're really no longer the right person to run that company. 
that that makes a lot of sense. And you know, you mentioned that you're also I want to know a best-selling author. Um, I did read your book, uh, Built to Scale. I tell you what, I love the book because it was an easy read. You I hear was, that all the time. <laughs> it got to the point. Um, and it just, it was eye-opening and it just made so much sense. Um, I loved it. And I, I believe you mentioned in the book as well, um, a lot of times CEOs, like you said, they want to, um, uh, uh, promote people, you know, mm -hmm. that are loyal to the company. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you start, uh, your first advisory board with information experts? I did. Yeah. Um, so when I was running information experts and it, a very successful company, but I can remember at one point we had over 70 projects going on at one time. Wow. And I always say that, you know, building your first company is like building a plane while you're flying it, literally, like <laughs> in midair, right? right? You are cruising along, you're making decisions in the moment, you're hoping you're not going to crash, like you're literally building the plane as you're flying it. And so um, my one of my advisors had said to me, why don't you put in an advisory board? Because the way I felt was, yes, we were successful. Yes, we were profitable. Yes, I had great people, great projects. We were delivering. But it was like the wild, wild west in my company. Like there mm -hmm. just wasn't enough structure and process because, I, you know, every day I was developing the company. I, you know, I, I, I didn't have time to put in the processes and I didn't know how to put in the processes. And so... I, I said to him, you know, he's like, you need an advisory board. And so I went out and I did research on how to build an advisory board. And there was literally nothing out there on how to do it. So I spent a year documenting my own process. I came up with the scale model on how you select, compensate, associate the advisors into your company, leverage them, and then evaluate, evolve, and exit. And I built a model and I, tra I trademarked it. I patented it. It, I wrote the book, you know, I did a, I did a year of research and a year of process development. And then I went away to my favorite writing retreat sanctuary and, in, in, uh, in South Southern Virginia. And I went two weekends in a row for 30 hours each. And I wrote the book. I literally cranked the book out in two weekends and I came home. I sent it to my editor. She had very little changes. And I turned my company into a publishing company. I got myself an ISBN number and I threw it up on Amazon. And that's <laughs> how I got my first book out. And it literally like took on a life of its own. <laughs> now it's in like a dozen countries and it's helped thousands of other business owners build great I boards. Bet. And yeah, it's it just kind of has taken on a life of its own. So that's how I wrote the book. And I'm sure your English degree helped um, with your writing. <laughs> no, I mean- Stayed off. I, my father was all worried about what the free spirit with the English degree and the focus on Shakespeare, you know, what's <laughs> going to happen to her, my engineer yeah. father, but I don't think he's worried anymore. You know, I think we're good. So. I, I, I think uh, you're good, good too. And yeah. one of your latest ventures, you are the CEO and co-founder of Successful Culture International to help organizations transform to a more desirable state. Now, why would an organization want to transform to a more desirable state? Well, you know, leaders, um, leaders are only as good as the followers that are behind them. Like if you've got a vision and you don't have people who believe in you and who can help you execute, mm -hmm. you're just going to have a vision. You're not going to have anything that will come from that. And so 
building organizations and building environments and cultures where employees feel seen and heard and relevant and connected and safe, you know, emotionally and psychologically and physically safe. Now, physically safe is also a very important thing. It's something that we used to take for granted prior to COVID, but now it's something that's really important. Um, Building an organization where your people feel, you know, all of those things is really important to attract and keep really good talent. So, you know, as someone who, who built an extraordinary culture, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about when I was running information experts, it wasn't just the quality of the work that we did or the numbers of missions that we allowed our government agency clients and our commercial clients and our nonprofit clients to be able to execute and carry out. Um, it was the environment that we created. And we had such an extraordinary culture. It was so healthy. Uh, there were so many deep-rooted relationships. We even had a marriage. One wow. year, two of my employees got married. Yeah, <laughs> um, We just had a really, really great, great environment. And so I wanted to be able to take that experience out to the world and help others build equally good environments. So I have a question for you. What are your thoughts on hiring the person with the right attitude and teaching them the job versus vice versa? I love that question. So when, so when I was hiring, when we, when I was running information experts, um, you know, I kind of go through my life from a place of intentionality where everything that I do, you know, isn't, I I put intention behind it. So when we were, uh, and when I was running information experts, there were a couple things. I was always the last person to interview when someone was coming in the door. And I used a 360 degree hiring process. And what that meant was when a, pro- a prospect would come in, they had to interview with multiple people that would they would be working with. Mm-hmm. And then they would give me the decision on whether or not that person was the right cultural fit. Okay. So they had to be the right cultural fit. For me, there are three things that have to align. Um, culture, character, and competence. Hmm. So if you, if you fit with my culture and you have good character, I can help you develop the competence, right? I mean, you need to have some foundational understanding of what we do and, you know, some track record, but I would much rather find someone who has extraordinary character and an extraordinary work ethic and who I know is going to be, you know, integrate well into my culture. And then I can train them on the skill sets that they need rather than have someone who's got every box checked on the resume that they know the industry backwards and forwards and they know the technology and you know they've got the experience but their character is questionable mm-hmm. i would much rather have the stellar character and train someone on the skills than the other way around okay i, not, I mean i won't hire anyone who doesn't have a good character yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and I agree. Um, I also read that SEI puts uh, together retreats for your clients. So, what would one of those looks like? What 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 does that look like? Well, prior to COVID, we used to do that. You know, we mm-hmm. did offsite retreats for our, our leader, you know, leadership teams of our companies, and it really all of them are customized. I mean, it depends on what they want to impart to their employees, how they want to, you know, how they want to structure it. We can certainly provide guidance. Okay. Um, but they're usually customized and then we still do them. I mean, we'll do them online. I mean, obviously they're not multi-day, but we do a lot of leadership development, a lot of leadership training, um, you know, 
we still do that. We just had to switch the format. Okay. Okay. And you're also the co-founder of uh, the, the Women CEO Roundtable, where you help women achieve million-dollar companies, or they already have million-dollar companies. But could you tell me a little bit more about the company's mission and why you decided to uh, uh, start that venture? Yeah, so I ran that for uh, three years with my partner, Tina Johnson. And this year, we're taking a pause on it because, again, the format lends itself to in-person. We tried it, you know, in response to what we had to do with COVID. And it really, it lost a lot. Like we, Mm -hmm. the in-person format absolutely is required for this. But what what we did is we, you know, got a lot of applications from women business owners who are under a million dollars. And Tina and I are both very passionate in terms of equipping women business owners with the skill sets, the mindsets, the resources, the tools, the communities, everything that they need to move to the next levels of growth. And it created just an extraordinary environment and experience for women who, you know, up until the time they were engaged with us, didn't have those types of communities or access to those resources. And so it was very, very meaningful, the work that we did through Women's Sea Roundtable. We're hoping to bring it back, you know, maybe in 2022, we'll have to see. Um, but for 2021, it's on pause because it does not lend itself to an online format. Uh, I, I understand. Um, yeah. What, what advice would you give expiring uh, entrepreneurs who want to build million dollar companies? Uh, so, you know, first of all, if you want to build a million dollar company, if that number is what's in your head, I would say move away from the number and focus on profitability Mm, because I'll tell you, and I've written about this a lot. Um, a million dollars is a really hard place to be because you're too big to do everything yourself and you're too small, uh, to afford what you need to do it well. So mm, okay. I, I always looked at a million dollars as a good rest stop, a resting point. Like, yeah, if you want to have that as a goal, that's fine. But don't don't aspire to stay at a million. Aspire to get to five million, you know, because then okay. you've got the then you've got the revenue and you, you know, you've got the the cash reserves where you can actually invest in your infrastructure. But a million dollars is a really hard place to be long term. Okay. Okay. And you're, you know, a successful woman, um, successful in business, um, successful in family, that sort of thing. Um, what are some of your habits to keep you abreast of uh, new things that are going on in the business world? Do you, are you a book reader? Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, what are some of your habits? So I'm, again, getting back to intentionality. I'm very disciplined regarding my habits, right? So mm-hmm. This morning I was up at 5 a.m. I did uh, 50 minutes of my spin class, and then I did 20 minutes of yoga. Okay. And then I did 15 minutes of meditation. Right. I love that. And that's what I do. That's I mean, right there, 50, 20, and 15. Right. That's almost 90 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. I will do that every morning. I take wow. 90 minutes every morning for my mind, my body, and my spirit. And that's what allows me to set myself up for the day, knowing that I've invested in myself. So I don't feel that my whole day is about me being on the back burner. I've already taken care of myself, right? Mm -hmm. And I've made sure that my body is strong. I'm eating the right food. I'm taking the right vitamins. My, My mind is healthy with my meditation and my yoga. I'm doing everything I can to fuel my mind, body, and spirit right when I get up. And that's my time. And I'm very protective of that. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, yes, I am a book reader. I am a a voracious podcast listener. 
Um, I, I have a wide variety. I do, a, you know, a lot of it is spiritual. A lot of the work that I listen to and that I read is spiritually minded. Um, Cause I think that there's just, a, you know, we've talked about this before. There's a lot of close connection between strategy and spirituality. And so Agreed. all of that work that I do on a spiritual level makes me a better leader and a better coach and, and, uh, and mentor to, to other business owners. But I, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a reader. I, um, you know, programs that I watch, I'm always looking for lessons in them. I stay away from the negative content mm -hmm. out there. Um, so I'm really cognizant of that. Yeah, I love um, your habits and what you do, and I agree with it 100%. Now, let's see if we can uh, channel some of that divine energy for a game I like to play called Word Association. So in this game, <laughs> I might say a night, you might say day. Just want to see how you think, um, how quick oh, you boy. Yeah. So it could be all over the place. Don't worry about that. Um, that's uh, the fun part about this. But when you're ready, let me know. Okay, I'm ready. First word value worth universe connection super bowl puppy bowl buddha uh clarity diamond me mm. <laughs> You have really good answers for all of those. I, I like that a lot. Um, Marissa, thank you for taking the time. This was great. Uh, definitely wanted to have you back again. Uh, much, uh, I wish you the best in your endeavors and success. And um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Larry. It was awesome to be with you. For this episode and other podcasts, please follow MITEFDC Cutting Edge on LinkedIn and Spotify.